Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolfe. Most of you probably know a student or even several students who have struggled with mental health. Supporting students' mental health has always been a challenging and important issue for schools. And today more than ever, the mental health needs of students are complex and significant as we navigate this global pandemic. Reporter Rupin Fofaria of Education NC, Dr. Jeff James, the superintendent of Arabelle Statesville Schools, and Mr. Jermaine White, the assistant superintendent of student support services at Harnett County Schools, are all with us today to talk about the innovative ways some North Carolina districts are increasing mental health supports in their schools. Thank you all so much for being with us today. Thanks, Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for having us. You know, we know that we need funding, but another challenge that many have mentioned to me is not having the pipeline of people to take on these roles. And I know um, even in some of the hats that I've worn, we've had a hard time. We can have a position, we can have funding, and we've had a hard time hiring. And I don't want to say that means we don't try to hire and we don't create those positions, but we know there's some work to be done at the same time in creating a pipeline and attracting people to these roles. And I just wondered, Jeff and Jermaine, if you have any thoughts on what we might do to grow that pipeline and really be able to attract individuals to our districts for these critical roles. We have 47 teaching positions that are currently open, about 100 positions uh, total. We have about 2,700 employees when we're fully staffed. And um, I've never seen a time like this in education. Of course, I was in industry for about 22 years. And to be honest with you, never in industry did I worry about a pipeline of workers because it was a free market. We continue to hold teacher salary at a state level, and it's not a competitive market. And we all know that, uh, and while there's a lot of people that would brag about what we've done, um, our teaching pay has got so far behind other careers that are out there. You know, I can have a career technical student walk across the stage in 12th grade, get their diploma and a certification in welding and start to work at $40,000. We're still paying teachers 35. They get did get a small bump, but I think no time in history have I seen public education so vilified. And it's, it's going to... Our, the public education system is why we're the great country we are. And I think people are forgetting that. And it bothers me deeply that we're, we're trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and I'll just use a cliche. We were heroes two years ago and now we're zeros. So, you know, we were the best thing since sliced bread. When the pandemic hit, we were delivering meals, providing services. Then all of a sudden th this wave of negativity spread across our land you know, social emotional learning has become a bad word. I'm not sure how we teach kids how to interact with each other productively and collaborate is a bad skill. I think when I talk to employers and Jermaine would say the same, they want those skills. Matter of fact, we, we sort of get beat up for having kids that show up that can't collaborate, work as a team, dis agree to disagree, but then have a productive product. And I think public education probably does the best job taking scarce resources and producing a product. I'm not sure any other organization or business could take um, the limitless or the, 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 the lack of limitless resources and produce what we do. And we, we keep being asked more and more. And I think we've come to a breaking point with our teachers that, you know, I, I went into teaching because I love students and I wanted to impart knowledge. I didn't go to be an attorney on how to write an IEP. 
and never have I seen special ed teachers leave the, the business hand over fist. 50% uh, of the openings we have are, are special education teachers. And they will tell you, we didn't get into this to be an attorney. And when we have 46 to 48 page uh, individualized education plans and a teacher, according to the state, has a caseload of 50 students, it is impossible. We're paying them the least uh, amount of money we can to get them in the door. And when they're, they, they're passionate, they come in young and you see that passion quickly suck out of them, almost like the life by the end of year one. We used to provide additional stipends for other veteran teachers to pick up a new teacher and mentor them. And I'm just going to tell you from my teaching experience, if I hadn't had that, I would not have made it. And, you know, we were paying those people penance, a couple hundred dollars a month to be a mentor. The state decided we couldn't afford that, take, uh, took it away. And everybody wants to drive things into a business model. So I was in business, return on investment. So in our district alone, think about this. And I had a board member ask this, well, whose metrics are you using? So, and I said, well, we're using the National Nursing Alliance metrics. Well, that's sort of the fox guard in the hen house. Well, it is, but let's just put it down in practical terms. We have 4,000 students that have uh, medical needs to the point they have a medical plan. Divide that by 25 nurses, and there's nowhere in this world that a nurse can serve that many students a day. And so we're, we're asking paraprofessionals to pick up to be a pseudo nurse. We're asking our e -teacher, EC teachers to be pseudo attorneys. And we wonder, it's just a perfect storm. And I don't think our politicians can grasp. And there's, no, there's nowhere to fill the vacuum. Charter schools can't come in overnight and fill the vacuum. So if public schools fail tomorrow, this nation's in trouble. And I think people need to wake up and understand that. And I'm very passionate about that. I worked in industry and I know what public schools provide. I wouldn't have had an industry if it wasn't for public schools. We'll spend $38,000 a year to, to house an inmate in state prison, but we spend $9,000 on a student. And if you try to raise that $9,000 to $9,001, $9, everybody comes out. But nobody worries about all the money we're, we're spending on the other end of the pipeline. So let's, let's be proactive and invest in our future. And by investing in these social emotional issues our kids have, we're making them better citizens. If not, we're going to pay a hundredfold the amount to try to service them on the other side of public education or charter. You know, particularly for students with learning differences. And Marianne, I know you have a long history, you know, of, of working for, you know, advocacy uh, on, with students with learning differences, as have I. And we are, we're already failing those, so many of those kids. And we're failing the teachers who don't have all of the training that they need, um, you know, to, to offer adequate services. There's an utter lack of accountability at any level. And so there's, there's, there's places at every single level that I can point to and say, you're not meeting federal law or state law, but I can point at those same levels and say, but you're also not being given a fair opportunity to do it. It's, it's, it feels impossible, um, but it can't be impossible because we have so many kids with learning differences who are going to grow up with incredible and bright futures. I am a person with learning differences and was a student with learning differences. They grow up with incredible and bright futures, but we have got to do what we can to serve them. And when we talk about you know, mental health, it is disproportionately impacting students of color, students who are with learning differences, 
and uh, students from low-income families. I mean, it, you know, it, I can't sit still because I get excited when I hear these types of things because it, it, it's right here in my wheelhouse. I mean, everybody's absolutely um, correct in, in their assessments here. It, it is really tough right now um, to try to manage all of these different things. You know, I've had, you know, uh, former bosses talk about how, you know, you have to have a JD in order to be able to understand some of the language that goes on in, in some of these reports and, and what we have to do, you know, and these are not just pandemic issues, right? And so let's just get this off of the pandemic. These are things that have been going on for a long time that maybe because we were distracted in other places, we didn't have an opportunity to fully address. So the pandemic you know, has had, had us and made us slow down a little bit to be able to go back and, and really hit a reset button. And that's what I had to do, um, just kind of bringing it home and personal with my team here is really look at what we were doing well and what we weren't doing well. And that's not a comfortable conversation because you want to believe that you're doing everything that you can for children. Um, but a lot of it can be surface things and not necessarily things that are being impactful in the lives of children and their families. And when you talk about students with disabilities, especially, I mean, already somewhat at a disadvantage um, and, and being put to the side and not being able to receive the services that they necessarily need is very disheartening. So when you talk about pipeline, one thing that I really tried hard to do at the beginning of this pandemic was look at and look for people that were already here that were passionate about those things um, because you can get burned out. You know, there, there are several teachers who are in the classroom that are studying to be school counselors or they're studying to be social workers or they're, they're studying in some cases to even be school nurses. If that's their passion, we've got to allow them in some way, shape, form or fashion to flow in that passion, but be able to replace them with people who want to be in the classrooms, who want to be on the front lines, who want to be able to work with our children. And so pipelines in our district that we've, we've tried to develop, you know, TAs to teachers. Uh, what I've tried to go back and look at is if I have paraprofessionals that are working with, uh, to, to, Rupin's, um, to, to Rupin's point and uh, Mary Ann's point, if I have uh, in Jeff's point about paraprofessionals that are working in the health field that may, because of their work in the health field in the school system, want to be school nurses, can we provide ways and means through public schools to be able to help them get to that point? We have to be more innovative now than we have ever been, but funding should not be an issue, right? Like we should really, these things are so common sense, it almost drives us crazy that we have to be able to fund these things um, for the well-being of our future, because if we don't, it puts us at a huge disadvantage that'll set us back many more years than the perception of this pandemic that we're currently walking through. And so we've just got to do better and be better and be more committed um, to helping out our children and families as we move forward. Well, as Marianne is saying, Jermaine, we need to invest in our future and quit seeing education as a cost. It's an investment. There's an analogy that I heard um, that, that I just keep close to me, and that is the um, the concept of you know grocery store packaging. And so if I'm walking down the bakery aisle and I pick up a box of brownies, what do I see on the front of that package? I don't see the eggs, I don't see the flour, I don't see the sugar, I don't see the chocolate, right? I see the finished product, I see the brownie, that's what I want. And you know, to, to Jeff's point, I mean, that, that future is what we want. 
and we spend too much time arguing about the eggs and the flour and the chocolate. And, and we're cheating our we're cheating our future generations out of the quality of education we got. I, I think I had a very good public education, and and it really uh, it really upsets me when I see people trying to cut off what made us a great nation. And I, I deal with employers as a superintendent, and I'm telling you, I catch it from from parents to employers, and they are we're growing in Iredell County. And the biggest attraction in any county is the quality of the education system. If you can't supply workers, I was in industry, Fortune 500 company, and ran ran a Fortune 500 company. If there's not qualified workers coming out of the education system, I'm not relocating my business in your county. We're an economic tool, and people keep forgetting that. And if you start, like raw materials in the business, if you use poor quality raw materials, you're getting a poor quality brownie out the other end, Rupin. So you wouldn't like that brownie if we use really bad ingredients. So our job is to take those scarce resources and bake the best brownie you've ever eaten. After the break, we will continue this important discussion on mental health. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Participate Learning, uniting our world through global learning. Welcome back. We are so pleased to be joined by these wonderful guests. You're having to be very creative and go for alternative sources. And many people listening don't realize that we don't have a nurse in every school. We don't have the ratios for counselors, psychologists, and social workers in our state. We have a long way to go there. We've made some very small strides, but we have a long way to go. And Rupin, one of the things I'd love to talk about is we know that there's been some creative funding and temporary funding opportunities, but I wonder if you have thoughts on how we could make this this funding more recurring and sustainable. This is a long-term and probably forever because we're always going to have new students that need supports um, as we go along the way. So we'd love to hear your thoughts, Rupin. I'm encouraged by, you know, the conversation that's happening, um, but sometimes discouraged by, you know, the nature and sometimes direction of the conversation. I think oftentimes we think in terms of inputs for the students and we forget to think about the outputs from the students. What is it that we want our students to grow up uh, to be able to do? And it really doesn't matter, I think in this conversation, what your idea is on that. You know, so I may say that I want kids to grow up to be, you know, well-functioning adults for them to, to grow up feeling belonging and independence and a community, a sense of community. Um, and you may say that, that you think that it's uh, you know, for workforce development, no matter what it is, if we have not given them um, social emotional learning supports, you know, if we have not cared for their mental health, then it's gonna have disastrous, effect, disastrous effects on the outputs. And so I think we all have to, we, we need a consensus around that. The research has told us that, but we need a consensus around um, this is what we want and we are going to be intentional about it. Obviously, um, you know, the Leandro case is, is still ongoing. Um, I think a lot about that case. I think about how it started with five districts and pretty specific asks, and it's grown to statewide, 115 plus, right? And, um, and, and it kind of, it lacks that community approach. And I think that community autonomy is necessary. For example, uh, what happened in Iredell Statesville, as, as Jeff was just talking about, that started first, right? And then later in Harnett County, Jermaine White and his team started doing what they're doing. Well, what if as a state, 
we said, okay, look at what's happening in Iredale Statesville. Let's mandate that, right? Even if you provide funding, and, and honestly, our General Assembly does not have a practice of, of giving us mandates and funding, but, but even if you did have the mandate and funding, that approach that worked in Iredell Statesville would not, and Jermaine, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it would not have worked in Harnett County because they don't have the same number and proximity of outside providers. Right. And so I think first, if we have a consensus around this being important, and second, we pay attention to communities and letting communities drive that discussion for what's important for them, I think we have a good start. And I wanna say one last thing, and that is around um, you know, Project Activate. And so in 2018, North Carolina was one of 24 states chosen for um, a federal DHHS grant. And uh, the way that it's taken shape in North Carolina is through what we call Project Activate. And it, there's three pilot districts and two of those three are in Rockingham County and Cleveland County. And that's important of course, because Rockingham County is the district represented by our president pro tem uh, in the Senate and Cleveland County is represented by uh, the Speaker of the House in our General Assembly. We can learn a lot from what has come out of that Project Activate grant. That Project Activate grant is set to expire in 2023. And so we've only got you know, a year or so uh, left, but there's a lot that's come out of it. Rockingham has learned a lot and changed a lot of practices. Cleveland has, Beaufort has. Um, and so I think we can study that and there's a case to be made for continued funding. And if I can just do a personal plug, Marianne, as you know, uh, I'm a part of the Education Policy Fellowship Program through the Public School Forum. And I wanna shout out uh, uh, Policy Group 10, my group, which that's what we're fighting for. That's what we're, we're, we're traveling to Rockingham to learn what they've learned. And we're visiting districts outside of that, uh, Edenton, Chowan, which I know Marianne, you had a chance to visit last week, we're headed there uh, in a week or so just to see how they've integrated social emotional learning into the curriculum. There's a lot that we can learn uh, across the state. And I think if we lift that up, communities can decide this is what will, will work here. But I think that it needs to happen through funding without the mandates, the statewide mandates. That is so helpful, Rupin, and so many important pieces, which really allows our communities to know what they need, but also then to have the resources so the energy goes into implementation. And so um, I do think that you raised so many excellent points, and I'm also hopeful that we can make progress, but it does take resources. And what we know is that our districts and our teachers and everyone is strapped. And so very important that we're raising these pieces. Um, I'd love to, for each of you, we have a lot of families and parents and grandparents and community members that listen to the show or read um, pieces of this. And what I would love for you each to do is give very brief advice to how people support our kids and especially how do we support the mental health of our kids and how do we help our schools do that better? I would just say it takes a village. It really does take the community. I am doing my best to try to get faith-based in our doors. We do a a, every quarter, we do a faith-based breakfast or luncheon, and I try to bring get more and more people involved in it. You'd be surprised at what you could do in our schools to help our schools out on each and every day. We need that in our schools. Wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. Jermaine. I'm just going to be real simple and say be nosy. 
you know, be, be nosy, just pay attention to what's going on in, in, inside of your household. You know, sometimes we get caught up in these devices where people are texting back and forth and communicating that way. That's where a lot of our cyberbullying and mental health issues kind of happen with our children. And so be nosy in what they're doing, listen, communicate and participate. Um, and I think that will put you in a position to where these types of challenges can be solved. Wonderful. It's a first for us, the be nosy recommendation. I love it. Um, Rufin, how about you? Yeah, these are not just, you know, General Assembly or State Board or local school board conversations. These are community conversations. Uh, in, the, in the state, uh, our constitution guarantees our kids a right to a general education that has been interpreted by the courts to mean a sound basic education. But those words are meaningless at the community level, families, community leaders, everybody needs to get together and come to an understanding in that community. What does a sound basic education mean? What do we want the output to be for our students? And that's all community-based. Well, thank you all so much. Uh, you have shed light on so many important issues, but also bringing it back once again to our students. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, so thank you so much for being here. And after the break, this week's final word. Our schools strive to support the academic, social, and emotional learning of our students. And these efforts include student supports through social workers, psychologists, counselors, and nurses, in addition to teachers and other staff members. Even where student support personnel are in place, which is not the case in many of our schools, families and communities have long known the complexity and urgency of student mental health. Most of you listening to or reading this today know a student or many students who struggle with mental health. While it is an important shift that mental health and the related supports are talked about more widely than ever before, we continue to struggle to provide the interventions and supports for our students, even when we are aware of the needs. Today, we are lifting up how COVID has shed light on student mental health challenges and how the traumas related to COVID have likely increased the students' needs for mental health supports. Some districts in our state, including Iredell Statesville Schools and Harnett County Schools, are overcoming obstacles and pursuing creative, innovative ways to increase mental health services for students in their districts. Leaders in these districts know that supporting student mental health is one of the foundational elements of ensuring students can succeed both inside of the school walls and in life beyond the classroom. Yet for years, they have encountered many financial and logistical roadblocks in order to provide the services their students need. For far too long, our schools have only been able to employ a fraction of the school counselors, social workers, psychologists, and nurses that are needed. Students who come to school hungry, are living in poverty, have just experienced a traumatic event, or have an unstable home life, are not in a productive state to learn. Yet despite what we have come to understand, our state's public schools are starved of the school support personnel who can help address some of these needs. Social workers, nurses, psychologists, and counselors are critical to ensuring students can succeed in the classroom, but our state has neglected to direct the necessary resources to ensure that they are in place in every school. And as a result, we are seeing massive shortages of these personnel statewide. No school district should have to face so many challenges when it comes to supporting our children. As we heard today, mental health is often one of the first services to be cut when funding becomes scarce. While some districts have been able to make mental health a priority, they did so through hard work, creativity, 
and finding scarce funds either within their budgets or through the philanthropic community in order to be able to do it. All of that effort should not be a requirement, especially with so many other needs in our schools. As we strive to have an education system that ensures that all of our students graduate ready for college, career, and citizenship, we must acknowledge and act in accordance with the need for these integral supports for our students. They are not optional. Addressing the needs of the whole child is critical to ensuring that each child reaches their potential. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.